Welcome to Retirementals, a podcast that dives headfirst into the issues facing the financial sector at the intersection of investment, technology and financial advice. Hosted by Abraham Oksanya, you can expect raw honesty, critical analysis and energetic interviews. Here is your host, Abraham Okasanya. Hello and welcome to this episode of Retirementals. My guest today is Helena Waddle, who is a chartered financial planner at Smith & Waddle and the founder of Money Means, a fintech on a mission to help anyone plan money around life and not life around money. I really like that, Helena. Welcome to Retirementals. Thank you for having me. So let's start uh, with your background. Give us a little bit uh, uh, of uh, a sense of the journey that brought you into the business of financial planning. Mm -hmm. Um, I find that fascinating because I'm still, um, I still have to meet someone who deliberately set out to become a financial planner. Um, I, I'm sure they're out there, but they're few and far between. So like everyone else, I kind of completely fell into this. Um, partly through complete naivety when I was younger. I grew up in South Africa and sort of flew over. My first ever flight was to the UK. <laughs> Had no idea what to do. <laughs> And sort of um, just kind of decided, like everyone else thinks, it's you know great opportunities and easy to find work. So I had my second day in the UK, printed off a stack of CVs, <laughs> and just kind of walked, took a bus to Potters Bar. I don't know if anyone knows where that is. It's the tiniest, tiniest little town, and walked down Potters Bar High Street with a stack of CVs, handing it out to everyone, <laughs> um, kind of saying to people, you know, I can do anything and I can try anything. Um, mostly just got really, really strange looks. I don't think anyone thought I was sane that day. Um, and luckily, Nationwide remembered me and contacted me a couple of months later to say, you know, we have a vacancy now. Do you want to properly apply for a job rather than um, randomly just giving your CV? Um, so we started on the counters um, as a cashier at Nationwide Building Society. Um, fairly convinced they promoted me off the counter because I calls too many cues. Um, I didn't really know anything about English money and I really couldn't balance my till. Um, I thought Scottish money was funny, Monopoly money. I was very, very green, <laughs> didn't know what to do. Um, but I was good at having conversations with people. So I went from cashier to personal banker. Um, and I still remember in the branch, the financial advisor in the branch sat down with me one day and sort of said to me, you know, this is what I do and more to try and sort of suggest who to refer on to him, obviously. But I kind of looked at him and I said, I really want to do your job. And what do I need to do to do, to do that? So he said, you need to kind of work your way up to the ranks. And I did. I became a mortgage advisor um, right at the start of financial crash, which was actually a fascinating learning experience for me because I worked with people under immense stress. Um, you know, I was based in London at the time. So there was a huge amount of people that were coming to us in negative equity or having real worries about interest rates at that time and how things were changing. Um, so I then went on from that to becoming a financial planner, first within Nationwide, then very quickly decided I needed to be independent. 
and so I became an, an advisor within another business and then a couple of years ago we set up Smith & Waddle so that's me I just think it's a really lucky coincidence um, that I fell into the industry but I love it and I wouldn't do anything else it's an incredible story. Um, what, what brought you to the UK at 16? I was 20 at the time and um, I worked in a restaurant in South Africa. So many of the waitresses um, have either were on their way or working visas to um, England at the time. And listening to it all, I just thought it was fascinating. I just really wanted to give it a go. So um, I had the full intention of just coming for a couple of years and doing a working visa and I'm still here. So yeah, <laughs> yeah it just it it was an it was an opportunity that I just felt I had to take. It, it's it's incredible. And you know, you say I, I know people say that um you know um oh well I, I fell into financial planning but the reality is that you could have stayed on that job uh in 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 banking or in the cashier side of things or or moved sideways or go into another industry completely yet you stayed you took all the professional qualifications which i don't know how many years it took you um you know to become a financial planner uh you know maybe maybe five years worth of exams and then i know that you also went back and did your master's in financial planning. Yes, apart from that, all of the hard work, you fell into it, right? <laughs> I just, um, there's so much to learn though. And I think if you're a curious person, this is the right career for you because you really very quickly learn that you're never going to know it all. And right. that's a brilliant position to be in for a, for a lifelong geek. Um, I love learning and I like the um, amount of opportunity there is to improve and the puzzles and the problem solving. Um, it's a fascinating job. It's really interesting. There's almost never a dull day. I mean, there's stressful days, <laughs> but there's never a dull day. Yes, indeed. So, so before we, we, we sort of dive into what you're doing with money means and, and all that stuff, Talk to me a little bit about Smith & Waddle, the firm today. What does that look like? What does that business look like? And uh, your, your role in it. Um, Smith & Waddle was actually something that took a long time to create. Because once we realized we wanted to set up our own firm, it was incredibly important to us to set it up in the way that we felt was right. I started advising in um, 2011 just as RDR was coming in. And it, to me, just always felt like everyone was doing the same thing. And I definitely think there's room for different business models. And I really wanted our business model to be representative of what we wanted to offer for clients and what we wanted to do and how we saw it needing to be delivered. And we took a long time to work through what that would look like. Um, and divide the, you know, coming up with the business plan and the proposition and how we'd like to work. Um, and that also was always going to be the foundations for money means because it was really important for me that that business is run well and is set up well so I could step away and do my next 
smooth in a sense. I, I, want, I don't like untidiness. I needed to make sure things were um, running well and, and in a way that, that we always set out to do. So that was quite important to me in, in that sense. So the foundations for the business is incredibly strong. Um, the team is very um, sure and confident of what they're doing in terms of processes and how we set up and how we run. And that was really important things for us to embed. We wanted to be a financial planning firm. We wanted that to be the first starting point for every client. So we don't do anything transactionally. Um, we only take on clients that, that sort of is within our ethos and how we work. And, and we think that fit is really important because if you find clients that don't fit the proposition or it doesn't work in the way that, that you are working as a business, it only becomes harder to do your job. Um, so we, we sort of have tried to really adapt that we, we are clear on what we offer, we're clear on how we work and we all do it consistently. Um, so that's the kind of sort of ethos that we've got within that business. We're really, really proud of the team. Um, there's absolutely no way that anyone individually can do things that we do in our business. We work collectively. Um, every single case has a number of people that works on it. Um, and yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's a pretty um, client focused business. We're incredibly proud that our clients read our super bulletin letters because we write them in a very engaging way. And that was something that was incredibly important because we think that's the storytelling of, of it and it shouldn't be sort of viewed as such a tick box thing. So every single bit of communication we have, we try to really think about who's going to read that and how's that going to be taken. So language and delivery and stuff like that is really important to our business. And I think that that's really worked for us because we get really high levels of client referrals. We get, you know, we not struggled for business since we launched and you know that's a really strong position to be in um but we know we always have to keep working on it so we're always pushing the standards always trying to look at how we're delivering advice and, and making sure we do the best for our clients so you you talked about that foundation the importance of that foundation what does it look like in terms of structure so there are uh, i'm assuming you know two planners yourself and your partner and what does the support staff look like? Or oh, have I got it wrong? What, what's the what's the setup? What does that look like? We've we've grown a bit since. Um, so we're four planners in the business now. Right. And we overall the team is ten. So we're four planners. Right. We've got power planners in the team. We've got administrators, and we've got an operations manager. Um, she prefers to be, be she's literally the glue that holds a lot of things together because you know to run a financial service business is a huge amount to do and just to keep track of everything um which is brilliant so so we have we have really strong support um and what our power plan also leads on the client work making sure that everything's done and, and um and adhered to and that everyone is um doing things as they should so in terms of myself and jonathan our support is very much coming from some members of the team people that's been with us right from the start and and sort of really um, have the values of our business at, at their core. Um, so, for example, our tagline is "We care," and that actually was one of our team members that came up with it um, because it's generally the, the 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 most important value to us as a business. Um, and we all really try and revert back to that whenever we face problems or look at how we need to um, deal with things because that's really core cool to who we are and, and what we're trying to do. 
So it's it's incredible what you've achieved. And what I like about your story is essentially you've gone from, uh, you know, essentially coming into the country at the age of, uh, sorry, I say 60, 20, with, with <laughs> frankly, no idea of, um, you know, the UK system and structure and all that stuff. You know, I, I, I'm similar. I came in as, as, a, as, a, as a student, as a postgraduate student at 22. And I, I, the thing that amazes me is the journey from essentially knowing nothing, let's put it that way, about financial services and the financial, uh, you know, industry to setting up your own firm. How how long has this journey taken you? Give me a sense of that before we move on to the greater things. I just wanted to, the, the reason- I'm basically giving away my age. <laughs> no. <laughs> Which is fine, I'm 37, so 17 years. <laughs> So it's not quite You're been that a fast. baby compared to me. You're a, you know, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm older. Uh, I'm older is all everyone on this podcast needs to know. Uh, yeah. All right. Okay, right. So so that is incredible, right? So you set up the, but you set up the firm a couple of years ago. You set up Smith & Waddle in? 2020. So we've literally just gone two years. 2020 right sure just before and yeah. that was just before the pandemic and and you said that you were at, you started advising just before um uh, the financial crisis so i started as a mortgage advisor in 2008 so um and then i moved on to advising in 2011 so i've been i've been um an advisor effectively for just over 14 no, sorry, I can't do the maths now. <laughs> but um, I've been a financial advisor for 11 years. So yeah. I think it's, it's incredible how quick it goes, really, and how much change you see in 11 years, because it feels like, like that. But actually, if we just look, I remember having my first conversation with you when you just launched Timeline and seeing it when it was still on that line, <laughs> showing the little... <laughs> simulations and that was in 2016 you know and thinking about you know how much things have moved on since pension freedoms I mean the level of change that we've got that I've gone through in my short career relatively short career is in, is actually shows how fast things have moved I think it's very easy for us to think things haven't moved on but actually if you look back on it it's incredible how much has come along in 11 years and and I'm really proud to have been part of that you know, to, yeah, to have seen that change and to see that shift in where we're going. It, it, it's it's incredible. And and I suppose in a way, it's a, I think it's a really powerful message to, you know, the next generation or younger people, um, you know, in the sense that if all you really need in this profession is, as you said, you know, curiosity maybe a little bit of courage but mostly curiosity to learn and to grow and not to be afraid of um you know being the what's the word what's the thing they say being the least uh the dumbest people in the the, the, the dumbest person in the room so to speak 
the interesting thing is when you feel out of your depth, so when you feel like you're the dumbest person in the room, the best thing you can do is shut up and listen because right. ultimately you will have the best experience of learning. I learn from some incredible people. I have so many people that I owe my career to. And this, the, the sooner you can get yourself a mentor, the sooner you can get people that you look up to or learn from, the faster you'll progress I believe, because I don't think I could be here if I didn't have the encouragement of quite a few people to nudge me along the right way. So the reason I did my MSc is because one of my favorite mentors advised me to do it. And, you know, he said, you need you, this is something that you really will benefit from because you'll learn critical thinking skills that you've not, you know, you can really develop much further. And it was never done in a way other than just trying to help me improve. And I honestly think that changed the way I think entirely. It was one of the best experiences I've ever had. And that's what probably um, the toughest nine months of my life. I remember telling my husband to stop breathing because I was writing my dissertation and I couldn't concentrate. So he just left <laughs> quietly. But it was pretty stressful to do a master's degree alongside working as an advisor it's already quite a demanding role but I know many planners in the UK have done it we just I just find it a shame that that research never seems to make the light of day but you know that's I think I've learned to make peace of it I think the only people that's ever read my dissertation is me and my first marker <laughs> that's about it yeah, <laughs> that's okay it gave me a lot so I'm fine with it so let's let's shift gear then and talk about money means and you know so tell us what that what, what that's all about i remember having time off as you do between christmas and new year and coming back in the new year and turning to my business partner and saying to him i've had this idea can i run it past you and him turning around to go that's a really good idea and it was just the thought of we are helping people at a time where it's really obvious they need to start thinking about retirement. So I think of myself now, I've my retirement is as far away from now as the start of my career is. Mm. And I still can't picture it. I can't picture what that looks like. I can't picture what I want to do. I can't picture... It's not easy for me to see myself that far in the future. And I think for a lot of people, it's a similar thing. So you kind of think, oh, that's fine. You'll deal with it later. But the difference people can make by paying attention to things sooner is massive. And so many clients said to me, oh, I wish I did this sooner. And if you think about how much money plays on people's mind, I don't think there's a person you can talk to where it doesn't have some sort of impact on how they think or do or act. And I just couldn't stand there and watch people being funneled into investment products or funneled into solutions that isn't properly engaging them in the way that we do as financial planners, because there's no opportunity for people to engage with money in that way and to, to work with money in that way. And I just feel that's a real shame because the relief we give clients and the, the, the benefits clients get from us is visible. Um, I, I genuinely think it's visible. We make such a difference to people. And, and I think that such people that maybe haven't experienced financial planning or gone through a process with a really good planner, 
don't necessarily understand that we're very misunderstood as a as a as a profession and i think you know we've seen that when we talk to product providers because they don't get what we do they don't understand and the closest people to the clients as financial planners so to me it made complete sense that we lead on trying to solve this very difficult problem of of helping more people get access to advice um, and the way that people want services delivered has changed in every single industry so what makes us think it shouldn't change in financial planning or financial advice because people are working with things in their lives completely differently um, and I and I, I just couldn't sit back and watch that problem not being solved. Um, to me, just I looked at tech entrepreneurs and financial product providers looking at that space and understanding through testing their services that they don't really see what I see um, because they don't work with clients and that link is missing, which is why they change direction or change tack. And I don't, I don't, don't necessarily feel. Um, that it's being addressed in the way that I think it, it could work a lot better in. So um, it became a slight obsession, to be honest. And here we are. So, so the idea here is what? The idea here is to use technology in some shape to do part of the planning process and blend that with human. Talk me through what, what the value proposition is. The, the um, core of suitability is effectively knowing your client well enough to understand what they need. Um, and if you know how to work through the different elements of technology well enough to pull that together, I think that could be done a lot better than what it's done currently. Everything is very siloed and everything is, I know you, <laughs> you can talk about this all day, but it's very disjointed. And I just saw an opportunity to utilize technology better to create a more streamlined way of knowing the client um, without necessarily involving a planner. So you can recreate the experience of having a first meeting digitally if you use technology well. And I'm not talking about just gathering how much money they have, because that's not what a financial planner does but you can create a really engaging process if you're creative around how you engage that client with what's important to them about money. And I felt that element was a relatively simple element to automate. Um, I do think a lot of people freeze when it comes to actually making a decision because that reassurance is missing. That am I doing okay? Am I doing the right thing? Should I be pressing that button? Is that, has that, has my answers led to the correct outcome? And I think that's what digital journeys on their own is missing. And for that, you do need the human element. There's a huge amount of people in the UK that has no confidence around money. And just because you tell them how something works is not necessarily gonna give them enough confidence to take that next step. So the principles that what we're trying to follow is do as much as we can to help that client feel confident and assured that they can take that next step. And we think it's a combination of digital and people. So we will always combine the two. But there's great ways you can still put the human touch in things by using technology. And we wanted to, to really try and integrate very interesting ways of doing that. Um, 
So we're trying to sort of make sure that that the way that we respond to clients and the way that we um, position, you know, common questions is done in a way that's engaging. Same with the way we explain topics, because I have um, a real bugbear in the way that we write to clients in, in general. And I think we can explain things far simpler than we actually do. People don't need to come out of an advice process of a diploma in financial planning. They just need to know enough to make an informed decision. And, and that's been really our laser focus to try and get it down to what is the most important thing people need to know to make a decision and what can we do and build to make sure that they can make that decision in the best way for them in a way that is um, clear and in a way that they can really truly see benefit of the actions that they're going to take it's it's not an easy thing to do and I think what we're launching with is a fraction of what's in my head um but I really think that it's something that can develop into something hopefully that'll make a massive difference to thousands of people so so you know uh, I'm a big supporter of yours and and technology right but let me play People say devil's advocate, but God's advocate, because I really, truly believe <laughs> that I'm doing, I am doing God's work here. This, this um, space, this space yeah. of using technology to provide um, good financial and, to a degree, life planning uh, to people is one that is filled, littered with dead bodies, literally. So on the one hand, you have, you know, life coaches and people who are trying, who've tried to scale, uh, you know, good financial, I mean financial coaches, people who, you know, I'm trying to say they've tried to do it without the product element. So focus on people and their lives and things like that. I do not know of one that is actually managed to scale, right? Uh, not in the UK and dare I say not in the US. If anyone does listening to the podcast, Please come to me now. There are there have been people who've tried to scale it. As a matter of fact, I digress. The one example that I've seen that has succeeded is a guy in the U.S. called Dave Ramsey, who led started with financial education, build coursework and things for people to go through. But when it comes to them, when it gets to the point where they need to be they need to be investing then they send them to back to the traditional um you know financial planner but that's a business that is built over say 25 years uh you know quite successful but but in the in the in the recent times i can't find any sort of good reference point another another one that tried to do this in the us uh, is a lady called alexa von tobel and she founded the company called Landvest. And again, the idea was monthly subscription, use, you know, use a, a combination of technology, group coaching, 
Um, and again, that startup was acquired by a live company and essentially, uh, you know, dead in the waters now, as far as I know. And so you have all those exper experiments on the one side. And even in the UK, the thing is that a lot of, uh, you know, these fintech startups either trying to do money, you know, personal financial management or even things like investing they burn through hundreds of millions of pounds and in the end many of them just end up either being acquired by a life insurance or asset management business um or indeed um you know frankly die you know startup is very hard and, and a lot of these startups die so <laughs> <laughs> on that positive note <laughs> I on, get that it. Positive, yeah. on that positive <laughs> note, why are you doing this? <laughs> so basically, you're asking me if I'm crazy or delusional, um, which is fine. I can accept that. Oh, both. I think most oh, entrepreneurs are. Yeah, I think most entrepreneurs are. Um, I think you have to um, factor in that most things, when you're trying to break into a market will fail. Um, so if you think about it, majority of people in this target market doesn't seek advice. They don't get advice. They don't, you know, I think the FCA survey showed 94% of people in our demographic doesn't have, have an advisor or has never had advice. So the first thing that we've got to recognize is we haven't spoken to these people for 11 years because we haven't been interested in them. And therefore, as a result, we're going to have to create demand. This is not an easy task. This is not something that's going to be simple. And it's not something that my um, predecessors, as you so nicely pointed out, has actually succeeded in. Um, I do think if you look at um, some of the accounts and um, spend on stuff, I do think I worry about <laughs> burning money for no reason. Um, and, and I think sometimes the, the raising lots of money can also cause the point where you probably waste some. Um, yes. and, and I think to some extent being a financial planner has done me well in that because for what I feel so far, I've not spent a huge amount of money in comparison. <laughs> um, so you, you, you were very right. I have no, um, I'm not naive enough not to understand how bloody difficult this will be. But someone's got to do it. If you think about it, what will happen to retired clients in 20 years' time or 30 years' time if we have ignored them for most of their lives? Um, we are very proud of auto-enrollment. Yes, fair enough. But how many auto-enrollment schemes shove every single member into a balanced fund, sometimes with 50% um, bonds in it? when those members may be my age or younger. And what is the cost to that? What is the cost to that when their investment allocation is incorrect? So could we really say it's okay to just say it's difficult and no one's going to crack it? No, I don't think so. I genuinely think there's room for a very creative solution. And I don't think you can do it um, as a standalone. You will have to build product propositions into it in time. However... I definitely don't want to overcrowd what we're doing. I think if, if we go out with 
bells and whistles, we are going to stuff something up. We've got to run out with what we think will be our strongest element of our proposition and get that exceptionally right and then focus on the other side. Because if you overcrowd yourself with too many things to do, you're going to stuff something up. And that's the way we're trying to do it, which is why, you know, to an extent, people would look at what we launch us in and maybe think that that doesn't sound like what we're saying, but it's because we're making sure the tech works and the, everything is tested. And a large part of clients um, are being turned away by robo-advisors and digital propositions because they're not ready to invest. And that's a simple fact. They go to crypto or free trade instead because everyone else tells them not to invest, but they want to know and understand how to do it. Um, so you've got to teach them how to do the basics right. And that's where those personal finance apps and things do have great value, but then what do they do once they know how to do that? No one takes them from that to the next step. And I think there's a significant amount of people in the UK that needs a lot more hand-holding and a lot more support to, to get moving from point A to point B. And I don't think there's anyone of our expertise that's doing it. So for that reason, I think we have a strong starting point, but by no means is it going to be easy Yes, indeed. Would and, you just you know, do things because it's easy? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I'm, ask, I'm asking you the same questions people asked me before we started out timeline. Um, you know, I, I think of entrepreneurship in a way as the highest form of humility mixed with the highest form of arrogance, right? You know, this is like basically saying no one's ever done this or succeeded at doing this. I'm going to do it because I have a really good idea. You have to believe that your ideas are good, but also you have to be humble enough to, to, to recognize that you need help, uh, you know, to pivot when the market tells you that you're, you know, that, that you need to. So, um, you know, if, if, if we, if people only did things because it's easy or because even, um, others have succeeded there, then, you know, innovation wouldn't come because that's where innovation, you know, is, you know, trying to do things um, that's perhaps never be, been done before. So anyway, talk me through the, the commercial model. How are you thinking about this in terms of pricing, um, you know, membership? Is it is it a membership model? Is it, um, um sort of self-serve to an extent versus um human interaction how how are you thinking about the 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 uh the the commercial model for 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 the service we um really believe that this model suits subscription because okay. aum to to me, there's, a, there's massive issues with it to some extent um, because that that's going to take a long time to build up um, levels of profitability to match what you're spending. But also, to, start, to, to an element, is if you create a very consistent proposition that people can flick between you know, certain elements that they use at certain points of life, I think it gives people a lot more choice. Um, with subscriptions, you should never hold on to your clients. You should always give people the choice to flick and change because if you make it too hard for people to alter or amend their subscriptions, you're going to create a barrier that will 
knock away any trust that you build up with that client. So we look very much outside of financial services for inspiration as to how we build the brand proposition, the pricing model, and how we sort of try to um, look at that as a, as a core um, business element, which is going to be subscription fees. There will be two tiers. Just the first tier will launch as our starting point. The second tier is where it's advised. Um, so there's two tiers of subscription. And we also see the value of one-off advice because I do think some people like the choice. We did quite a lot of research before we finalized our um, business model and it was one of the things that came up time and time again which is where you say you need to listen to your market um, and people do want the opportunity to perhaps subscribe to something but pay for one of advice as and when they need it um, and we think that element of it's quite strong we think you have to have engagement and touch points with your clients on a regular basis um, on a subscription model, which actually is quite interesting because you can personalize it really, really well and really easily with technology. So we try to sort of make sure that that proposition feels like something that they constantly can see and feel and get in touch with and track things so they can monitor how they're doing. So we will have one element that's guidance only, so DIY, do it yourself, here's how to do it, and very much journeys that are laid out quite clearly for people. And then the second one is where there's a little bit more complexity in people's needs, because not everyone's as blanket, they have simple needs. Actually, life is much more complicated now, and therefore for some people it will really help them to have a thinking partner um, to decide what route is best for them. Um, so we will have both propositions offered and then in time we'll build on that so our hopes is to keep it simple for launch and then expand um, going forward so the the plan is to launch in september or sorry i i, I or is this is this been decided you know are you keeping this close to your chairs for now uh, i don't want to you know, I don't want to... We're, we're very lucky. We've acquired um, a, a nice waiting list to test on. So um, people have been quite curious about what we're doing. And just in general, over time, we've built up a, a waiting list of people who are interested in and in going through the process. Um, so we're going to test it with them throughout September. And we're hoping to um, start launching in October. Um, but ultimately that date will only be set once we're quite confident with what we're coming out with. Um, but we, we, we're definitely going to be out this year. Good, good. And the price point is, is, it, is that set in stone yet? Can you say or not? <laughs> yeah, so the starting subscription is £25 a month. And the key thing is it is a subscription service. So we're not, um, we have an app, we do have technology elements, but it's a service proposition. And we want, we want to set that out quite clearly because I think when you just sort of talk about an app, people think about paying, you know, £8 for Spotify, I think it's £10 now for Spotify and things like that. There's a lot more to it. Um, but yeah, we're excited for what we're going to launch. I think what we're coming out with is, is going to be really helpful for people. And um, yeah, it'd be great to get feedback on it once it's started. Sounds good. I, I really look I look forward to to seeing it live and you know uh you know maybe kicking the tires a little bit so if you see some odd downloads maybe cut down um no it's been um an absolute uh fascinating conversation um helena uh, i am really 
um, you know, incredibly inspired by your journey and, and the things that, that you're building. So, um, you know, good luck with, with everything. Where can we find you? Do you have any parting words for our listeners? Um, uh, you know, and where can we find more about you and, and your work? Um, you can follow me on LinkedIn. I often share stuff and um, will share what, what's happening with Money Means. Money Means is also on LinkedIn and at, on Instagram at Your Money Means. And we've got, you can subscribe to our newsletter on the website as well if you want to stay in touch and see what we're doing. But yeah. That's good. And you have got that domain name Money Means because otherwise I'm going to go off and register it. Moneymeans.com. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Everything's registered, don't you worry. <laughs> Elena, thank you for your time. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you for today. I'll be remiss if I don't thank my incredible team who worked very hard to put this program together. Thank you, thank you very much guys. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Timeline App, the retirement planning software, and Bitfolio, the high-tech, low-cost, flat-fee model portfolio manager. And to you, our listeners, thank you for your time. I hope you've had as much fun listening to the program as we have making it. You can find more about the show at retirementals.co.uk and you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is Abraham on Money. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.